Amen. You're glad you're saved. Say amen. amen. I guarantee you the only way I made it through Atlanta traffic was because Miss Nancy was praying for me. Uh, I tell you what, it's a, it's a joy to be here tonight. It's a joy to be here because I'm not right now on 75, just to be honest with you. And I was uh, making my way up here. I must have been a pretty popular fella uh, coming up here because there was some guy in a red Mustang telling me I was number one the whole way. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, after about two miles, though, it seemed like he changed his mind about it. But anyway, I'm glad to be here tonight. I appreciate this church. I was thinking on my way up here that um, it seems like Brother Cofield and, and Whitfield Baptist Church, everybody somehow or another has a connection uh, with this ministry. And everywhere I go, it seems like somebody knows somebody that came through this church or was a minister of this church or a missionary through this church and I'm so thankful to be friends with Brother Wayne Cofield. And I love him. I appreciate his spirit. I appreciate his uh, hospitality. And uh, for him being a friend to me. And I appreciate, appreciate you as a church and uh, the influence that you have, not only here in this community, uh, but all around the world. And I thank you so much for your reputation. Amen. You're glad you're saved. Say amen. amen. You enjoyed the good singing tonight. Say Amen. amen. Well, it really ministered to my heart, and I appreciate those songs and the Spirit of the Lord. It's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to have a touch with the talent, and I appreciate both of them tonight. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the Old Testament book of Job. As she was sitting there singing the songs, it seemed like God was confirming things in my heart about the message tonight, Job chapter 23. And as you are turning there, it is good to see uh, Brother Hugh, Brother Pinion, and some of these other preachers tonight, dear men of God, and how much we appreciate them being in God's house. Job 23 tonight, I want us to look at verses 1 through 10. And no doubt it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, and, and one that I really just want to go kind of verse by verse in. And uh, I want to give you the main thought that I believe that Job is conveying to us through these 10 verses. And I'll say at the very beginning, the main thought that Job is going to give us, may take us back a little bit. It may be not quite the spiritual thing to say in settings like this, but nonetheless, it's the heartbeat of his life in Job 23. If you're able, let's stand just for a few minutes tonight as we read these verses. Job 23, verse number 1. And then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. And my Bible right there has an exclamation mark at the end of that statement. I want to read it again, and I want you to understand the emotion that's behind Job saying this. Oh, that I might know where I might find Him. That I might come even to His seat. I would order my calls before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand us what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? Job says no, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, and so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, and I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, Job says, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. 
He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But, well, glory. Job says, but he knoweth the way that I take. And somebody says, amen. Amen. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, say it with me, I shall come forth as gold. You can be seated tonight. I'm interested in verse number 3. Where Job makes this statement, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And tonight I want to preach on this subject, When you can't find God. When you can't find God. We come to the portion of Job's life in this particular section where Job and his friends are sitting around and they're analyzing all the tragedies that's befallen Job. We know that his friends have come and they've tried their best to analyze and evaluate and assess as to why Job is where Job is in his life. And these conversations always turn into theological quandaries and questions. As Job is trying to wrestle with the whys and the hows and the what-ifs, all of a sudden the great theology of those things come to pass. Some of the men say, Job, it's because you've done this in your life and because because God's angry with you here. Maybe, Job, if you had acted this way, or maybe, Job, you've had a different disposition over here. Some of those things would not have happened in you. And so, Job and all of his friends, much like a lot of us, when things happen in our life that we don't understand, we begin to question the the validity and the goodness and the direction of God. Much like the song we wrestle with, what is the purpose behind all of the pain? Why do we go through these things? And can I tell you here, by the time you get to Job chapter 23, Job indeed is going through a lot of things. I don't have to remind you that Job now is dealing with the death of ten children. You just allow that statement to process a little bit in your mind tonight and understand the magnitude of what Job is feeling in his spirit. Job is dealing with the death of ten children. Job has walked away from the shade of a funeral home tent. He has placed ten roses at the graveside. And now he's having to go back to life and making sense on how to fill the void of every one of those children now that's in the grave. I can't imagine. I couldn't imagine tonight. Uh, the, the weight that must be on his shoulders. I can't imagine the questions that he's grappling with. I couldn't imagine the pain and the hurt when I think about my own precious children. You think about your children and your grandchildren now. Job's not just buried one or three or five, but he's buried all ten of his children now in Job 23. And if that's not enough, can I tell you on top of that, Job is also dealing with the loss of all of his resources. We know the one by one the messengers came. Job, you've lost these assets. And Job, you've lost these possessions. And Job, you've lost all manner of your estate. Could you imagine what he must be dealing with as he's looking over the finances and the bank account and all the retirements and now everything that he had. He was a rich man in the land. Suddenly all of that is bankrupt against Job and he's trying to move on with his life having literally nothing to fall back on. 
And if that's not enough, can I tell you now, he's also facing the affliction in his body. We know that this other plagues come upon Job. And Job is sat in the ashes. And he's took a piece of the potsherd. And he's scraped his own flesh. And he's tried to deal with the agony and the pain and the suffering of the physical malady that's come into his life. Whether it's cancer or common cold, you and I know tonight the pain and the suffering when our body goes through some kind of turmoil, how that affects our faith and our relationship with God. Job's dealing with all that. And if that's not enough, in Job 23, he's also dealing with the strain of his marriage. You remember what his wife said. Why don't you just do what? Curse God and die. Now we know that she said that in a very vulnerable state. She's hurting just as much as Job is hurting. But nonetheless, with the loss of all the children and the loss of the estate and watching her husband in this great physical agony, suddenly the strain on that marriage has come upon Job's life and he's wondering how him and his wife will go on. There's a possibility they may not make it. There's a possibility there not might be another anniversary. There's a possibility that it might crumble on the rocks. And if that's not enough, he also has, in addition to those things, all the judgment of his friends. All of his friends come by and just kind of wag their head at Job and point their fingers at Job. Could you imagine tonight if Facebook was around in Job's day? I'll just let that settle in a little bit. Could you imagine all the posts? Could you imagine all the criticisms? Could you imagine all the comments that would be placed on Job's wall as everybody comes around and has an opinion on why Job's going through what he's going through? By the way, somebody's always got opinion about your life if they're not the ones going through it. And if that's not enough... In addition, he's got now the pity of society. Job was known in the land. He was a perfect and upright man, one who feared the Lord and escheweth evil. I mean, Job had a reputation. Job, he had clout. He had position. And now all society is looking at poor little Job. Look at Job now. He's not the man we thought he was. He's not the man that he thought he was. Emotional, financial, physical, relational, community stress that's on Job in Job 23. But can I tell you something? If just one of those things happened to me tonight or happened to you tonight, it'd be enough to turn our worlds upside down. I mean, just one of the things that I just mentioned was to happen to you before the sun set down here in Dalton tonight. I'm telling you, just one of those things happened. It caused you to be in a fit of rage. It caused you to be discouraged and depressed and trying to make it. But Job's dealing with all now the issues of life. But I think tonight the biggest problem that he's got in Job 23 is not the things that I just listed because men have went through those things before. I think the biggest problem that Job is facing here is that he's going through all of those things. Here it is. And in all those things, he can't find God. That's the issue. You see, that's the problem. It's not the physical calamity. It's not the emotional stress. 
It's not the strain on the relationship. It's not the loss of the estate. It's not even bearing those ten kids. It's experiencing all of those things, but in the midst of the pain, not knowing where God is. And that's what Job said, was it not? He says, oh, that I may find Him. I wish I knew where He was. I can't feel God. I don't know where He is. I've not sensed His presence in my life. Somewhere in the midst of all that conversation, Job is saying, beloved, I can't find Find God. I can't find God. Job, are you a man of faith? Yes, but right now, I can't find God. Job, has you worshipped at the altar before? Yes, but right now, I can't find God. Job, do you understand what righteousness means? Yes, I'm one in my generation, but right now, I, I can't find God. Job, do you know the presence of God in your life prior? I've felt Him many days gone by, but right now, I'm going through a season. Right now, I'm walking through a valley, and right now, I'm facing a storm. It's one thing, beloved, to go through a trial, but it's something altogether different to go through a trial and not know where God is. But can I give you some encouraging words? When you don't know where God is, aren't you glad He always knows where you are? I'm glad no matter what valley I go through. I'm glad no matter what storm I face. I'm glad no matter what enemy I may go through. I'm glad that there's a God in heaven. He sees the sparrow when it falls. His eyes roam to and fro throughout all the earth. Sometimes I don't see him, but he sees me. Sometimes I don't know where he is, but I'm telling you, beloved, he knows exactly where you are. Aren't you glad that he's still on the throne? Aren't you glad that he's still king of kings? Aren't you glad that he's got it all under control. I'm glad that when you don't know where God is, God knows exactly where you are. And Job's dealing with this. He's processing this. And as we come to these 10 verses, Job says, I've got something to say about it. Number one, notice tonight, verses 1 and 2 and 3, the complaint of Job. Now, and I have to belabor this point because to some degree I've already made it. But in verses 1, 2, and 3, Job is, is complaining here in the setting. That's what he said, was it not? Even today, in verse 2, even today is my complaint, say it with me, bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I might come even to His seat. I think it's safe to say tonight, and I believe I'm in the company of friends and you'd agree with me, I believe you would agree that the very best of us from time to time complain. Now, if you don't, then you can ride back to me to Loganville, Georgia tonight. I, the last time I was up in this area, I was preaching for Brother McCauley, and it was the same day that the bridge went out in 85 when somebody burned it to the ground. Four and a half hours. Man, I left the service. I was high spiritually. Man, I was just on fire for God. I mean, I was ready to go tell everybody about Jesus. And then I got to the traffic, turned on WSB, and four and a half hours later, all of a sudden, I lost all my spirituality. There's days... There's days, as Job said, even today, there's some days we just complain more than others. Can I get an amen from somebody? There's some days that we complain. You think about it. You think about traffic. 
You think about weather. You think about sports teams. You think about politics. I mean, you think about fast food lines. Come on, don't look spiritual on me tonight. Can, can, I just, can I just kind of vent a little bit here? If they convince me to buy two apple pies at McDonald's and they only put one in the bag, I'm going back in to get my other apple pie. I just felt like I need to say that. I need to get that off my chest. Don't we, don't we complain? I mean, if she doesn't get there fast enough to fill up the sweet tea, or if it rains a little bit more than what we wanted, or if it don't rain at all, or if it snows, or if, I mean, whatever it is, it seems like we are creatures of complaining. And the older I get, it seems like the worse it gets. Me and my wife, the other day, we celebrate our anniversary, and we began noticing all of our conversations now revolve around pains in our body. I've got a headache. She's got a hip ache. And so we made this agreement. We said, you know what? We're going to make a promise to each other. We're not going to talk anymore to each other about these things. We've not talked in three weeks. I mean, am I the only one? There's something, there's something about when things don't go our way, we have a tendency to complain. I believe you'd say amen, right? But you understand when Job says, today even is my complaint bitter, he's not talking about being inconvenienced. You know, most of our complaints are rooted in inconvenience. Something doesn't go the way we want it to in the hour that we want it to go in. We're inconvenienced to some measure or some degree. Job's complaint's not rooted in inconvenience. Job's complaint is rooted in injustice. Job feels as though he's been done wrong without any valid cause. Job is saying, I've not done anything. I'm a perfect man and upright in my generation. And I fear the Lord and I worship at the altar. And I've done everything that I've known to do. And whatever has happened to me, it's happened to me because of injustice. And so Job had a tendency here to get Bitter in his complaint. Same word for Mara. We know when they tasted the waters and it was bitter. We know it's the same word when Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore, but rather call me bitter because I've lost everything. I went into the land of Moab and I've lost my husband and I've lost my children and I've lost my joy and I've lost my peace and I've lost my lineage and I've lost my birthplace. I've lost my bread and my table and my kitchen. I've lost it all. And so as I'm coming back out of Moab, do not call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. You see her as her face is wrinkled up as she says it. It's the same word that Job uses here. He says, even today, Lord, is my complaint bitter. I don't understand why this is happening. God, if, if you could just give me some answers, maybe I could understand it. But God, you're not speaking right now. God, I don't hear anything that you're saying. And I think the truth is, sometimes we could handle what God would say if He would just say it. But He's not saying it. He's saying, God, I don't know where you are in all of this. In my complaint, there's a bitterness to it. It's not only a bitter complaint, it's a burden complaint. He says in verse 1, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. What does that mean, preacher? 
My stroke is heavier than my groaning. He's speaking of the stroke of the hand. If you look it up in the original, that's really what he's saying. It's my, my hand is heavy, is what he's saying. And it's heavier even than my groaning. I mean, I'm complaining, Lord, and I, I'm letting people know how I feel. But if they could see what I'm going through internally, my weight that I'm bearing in my soul is much more grievous than the pain I'm saying with my mouth. Matter of fact, he had weight on him. Don't you know Job had weight on him? First time I ever read it, I thought, man, Job is such such spiritual man, more than me. The Bible says what? When all these things happened to him, that Job did what? He fell to the ground and what? Worshipped. And I used to think, what a, what a wonderful response when all these bad things happen in your life that you'd fall to the ground and worship. Sounds like the right spiritual thing to do. But do you know what the word fall there really means? It does not mean to fall by your own volition. It does not mean to fall by your own will. It means to fall as the result of a weight you cannot carry. So when Job heard all the news and all the stress of his life and he fell to the ground in worship, he's not falling because he wants to fall. He's falling because he can't help but fall. The weight has come upon him and his knees are buckling and his shoulders are caving and he's giving in to the pressure of everything that's mounted against his life. And now Job reiterates that in verse number 2. And he says, you want to know what I'm going through? Let me tell you something. My hand is heavy and I cannot bear the weight that's been placed upon my life. Tonight, I, I, would, I would be careful to say that there's probably somebody here among us that would testify to the same thing that Job's testifying to. That, Lord, I can't carry it anymore. Lord, the, the stroke is heavier than my groaning. God, I can't bear the weight anymore. I can't go under the pressure anymore. And Father, it feels like right here, right now, I've reached my wits end. And God, if I was just really gut-wrenchingly honest, today I have a complaint. You have a complaint tonight? You know, a lot of times we, we really don't get the answers that we want because we're fearful not to ask God in honesty the things of our heart. But can I tell you, He is a loving Father. And He invites you to come to Him and cast all of your cares upon Him. Because I remind you of something tonight. He careth for you. Aren't you glad that God knows and God sees and He's able to take all that weight and all that pressure and all that pain? Aren't you glad that there's still a bomb in Gilead? And even when life hurts and things are tough, God is able to take care of it all. He says, my complaint is bitter. My complaint is burdened. And my complaint, Lord, is baffled. It's baffled because he says in verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. And then again, an exclamation mark, that I might come even to His seat. So Job in verses 1, 2, and 3 does something that sometimes we do. He complains. Now in verses 4 through 7, we not only see the complaint of Job, we see, second of all, the case of Job. The case of Job. What do you mean, preacher, the case of Job? I mean, now suddenly the language in chapter 23 begins turning into a legal procedure. 
Job, in essence, is saying when he, when he declares that I might come even to his seat, Job is literally saying, I want my day in court. I want to come before God, the righteous judge. And I want to lay out my argument against Him as to why I'm going through everything that I'm going through. Man, did Job have evidence. He said in verse 4, I would order my cause before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. Man, Job suddenly now thinks he's a lawyer. And he's saying, you know what? I've got a case. And I'd fill my mouth with all the things that I'd say if if God would give me the opportunity to lay out my charges as to why I shouldn't be going through this. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If Job feels like injustice has come against his life, he has called God to the courtroom so that he may get the justice he deserves. Can I tell you something? We must be careful about asking God for the justice that we deserve. Because the justice that all of us deserve tonight is not the glory that we have or the grace that we've experienced or the mercies of God. But if God was a just God only, then tonight you and I and the entire world would be broken in hell without a hope and without a cause. But aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is a merciful God and a long-suffering God and a patient God? And I'm glad when justice called, mercy answered. Job, you need to be careful here about asking God for justice. But he does, nonetheless, that I may fill my mouth. I bring my arguments before the court, verse 4. I would know the words, verse 5, which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? He says, no, but he would put strength in me. You know, you know what Job is saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if I just had an opportunity to hear what God would have to say, and then maybe that would settle some of the questions in my life. I think that's why Job has called God to this case. It's not maybe so he can get the answers that he wants. It's just simply so that he can hear God speak. God, I I might hear something from you, and I may not like it, But God, if at least you'd speak to me, then I know you'd be there. You see, that's the overarching idea here, is God, I don't know where you are. And God, if we could just come together in the courtroom, and even if you are my judge, God, I could take that as long as I heard you speak. But you're nowhere to be found. That's what he says as he moves on. In verse number 8, he says, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left where he doth work, I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. So Job says, listen, this idea of me coming with a case before God, as I've looked at it and as I've tried to seek him and find him, he says, it's not what I've asked for. I don't hear him and I don't see him and I don't get the judgment that I'm asking from God because behold, I go forward and he's not there. Or, or you could say it this way, Job's saying, I'm trying to move on with my life. I'm trying to get beyond yesterday. I'm trying to put another step in front of me, but God's not there. And let me say this tonight. Job's theology in verse number 9, 8 and 9, it's bad theology. What do you mean, preacher? 
I mean because we know that God is everywhere. Uh, Don't you know tonight that He is an omnipresent God? And even as He is here with us at Whitfield Baptist Church, He's in Russia tonight. And even as He's in Russia, He's somewhere in Mexico. He's not just somewhere in Mexico. He's everywhere in Mexico. But you understand what's happening? When trials come into our life, suddenly it blurs our theology. Job is saying, you know what? I can't, I can't find Him. He's not there. I wonder if you'd say amen right there. God was there. And just because you cannot perceive Him in this season of life, it does not mean that God has changed. Hallelujah. Just because your circumstances have changed, doesn't mean God's changed. And just because your emotions have changed, it doesn't mean God's changed. And even if your theology changes, aren't you glad that He's the same yesterday and today and forevermore? Can I give you a verse tonight? Behold, I am the Lord and I changeth not. Can I tell you, God was as much there for Job in this chapter as He was in chapter 1. And can I tell you something, beloved? You may not feel God tonight, but He's there. And He sees. And He understands it all. Those disciples, they went out the third watch of the night. And man, they got into the toiling and the rowing. They were middle in the sea. And the storm came. And it was dark. And they thought that they were going to lose their life. But somewhere up on a mountain, the Bible says, And He saw, well glory, And He saw them. They couldn't see Him, but He saw them. They didn't know where He was, but He saw them. They didn't know how to get to Him but he saw them aren't you glad even when you can't behold him he can behold you he said preacher why are you so worked up about it because I've lived it and I know that God's promise is this I'll never leave well glory I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee aren't you glad that he said something like this behold I'm with thee always even to the end of the world. But Job in this setting, he can't get it right. His theology has become the little warped because of his trial. He says, so I I try to go forward, but he's not there. He says, and then backward, and I cannot perceive him. Uh, I've looked back. I've tried to surmise. I've tried to assess why all the things have happened. But in looking back, I can't perceive God in any of it. We know as much as God was there in the front, hallelujah, He was just as much there in the back. He was in glory working all the parts together in a way that Job may never understand, but God had His hand in it. And then he says this, he says, I, I look on the left hand, verse 9, where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. And, and beloved, this might be one of the hardest parts of it. I look on my left hand, where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. Or in essence, He's saying, I cannot deny the works of God in other places and in other people's lives. I see God working at that church, and I see God working in that ministry, and I see God working in that family, and I see God working on that job, and I see God moving in that life on my left side, but right where I'm at, I just can't, I can't get a hold of it. 
And then he says, on the right, and he says, I just, I can't see him. Beloved, I'll say it in summary one more time. There are times when it feels like we don't know where God is. And if we were to end there tonight with just the complaint of Job and just the case of Job, we would be utterly depressed. But there is the consolation of Job in verse 10. And I love this word, but, how it transitions us into a different thought. In a different direction. Into a different realm. Job's saying logically and rationally, none of this stuff, well, glory, none of it makes sense to me. And I don't know where God is, but, hallelujah, He knoweth. He knoweth the way that I take, and when He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Verse 10 is the great consolation of Job's life. Even when he doesn't understand it all, there is something working down on the inside of him that's resolving him to who God is in his life. He says this, but he knoweth the way. Don't you like that? Don't you like how that consoles Job? How does that console Job when he says, but he knoweth the way? He is in essence saying in that verse, the providence of God settles me. And i tell you something, beloved, if we could ever come to the reality of that truth in our lives, it would make tomorrow a lot easier. That the providence of God settles me. I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to know and work out all the details of tomorrow. I don't have to know it all because He knoweth. Well, glory. Can I just say something? That the providence of God is the softest pillow that you'll ever lay your faith on tonight. If you will just trust in the workings of God and put your hand in God's hand and say, I don't understand it and I may not even like it, but I do know this. There's a God in heaven who's working all things for my good. And when I can't see Him and I don't know where He is, somewhere I'm in the hollow of His hand and He's got all things under control. Can I ask you something tonight? Aren't you glad that He knows what you don't? Well, glory. I don't know how I'll get through this trial, preacher. That's right, but He knoweth. Hallelujah. And I don't know how my kids are going to ever get straightened out. That's right, but aren't you glad He knoweth? And I don't know how I'm going to get through the end of the month with my finances. You may not know, but can I tell you, He knoweth, and He knows tomorrow, and He knows tomorrow, and He knows tomorrow, and He knows it all. I'm glad when you don't know, there's a God that always knows. But he knoweth are the greatest words you'll ever hear when you can't find God. But he knoweth. Isn't that what Jesus said? They came to him. He said, man, you're just like the Gentiles. Y'all worried about what you're going to eat? And you're worried about what you're going to wear? And it's just like us, isn't it? How are we going to pay the bills? And what my kids going to wear to school? And how am I going to get through the month? You know what Jesus says? Your heaven... Well, glory. He says, your heavenly Father knoweth... Well, glory. He knows the needs in your life. He knows the trials that you're facing. He knows exactly where you are in Job 23. So tonight, instead of staying up, worrying about everything, why don't you just let God worry about it? He's got it under control. This fellow always worried about stuff. Worried about his job and worried about his marriage and worried about his kids. And 
I mean, worried about everything in his life. I mean, it's driving him to anxiety and panic attacks and social disorders and all these different things. And finally, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay somebody to worry for me. So this guy, he hired him. Somebody, one of his friends said, man, you just look a lot better than you did a few weeks ago. What's going on? He said, you know how I used to worry about everything? He said, yeah. My house, my kids, my marriage, my all that. Yeah, yeah, you used to worry about all that. He says, I don't worry about it anymore. He worries about it. The guy says, how much does he charge a week? He says, $1,500. He said, how are you going to pay for that? He says, I don't know. I'll let him worry about it. <laughs> can I tell you something? Are you listening? Say amen. amen. Can, I, can I tell you something tonight? Why don't you just let God worry about it? He knoweth. Don't you know He knoweth? He knoweth. And that's the great consolation in all this that Job says, the providence of God, it settles me. But then there's something else that consoles him. He says this, the purging of God strengthens me. He says, but He knoweth the way that I take when He hath tried me. Job says, I'm understanding to some degree that there's a purging of God in this. And somehow or another, the purging of God is going to strengthen me and make me better on the other end. And it always does. And it always will. As Paul asked God to remove the thorn that Ms. Krista sang about tonight, he says, three times I besought the Lord for this. Besought is the word that we use to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The paraclete is paraclea there. I besought, I paraclea the Lord. And that word is the same word used to describe how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. He gets on the side of, He aids, He assists, He's right close, He's nearby. So when Paul says, I besought the Lord, in essence what he is saying, I got closer to God than I've ever gotten in my life because of the thorn in my flesh. The thorn, ironically enough, has driven me. Even though I had been bitter about it, somehow or another, I got better about it. And the thing that hurt me the most, ironically, was the thing that was helping me the best. It was the thorn. You know what made Paul a great preacher? You know what made him a great missionary? You know what made him a great man of God? It wasn't his mind. It wasn't his mentality. It wasn't even his ministry. It was the thorn that made him great. Because in the thorn, this is what he said. He says, when I am weak, glory, then I'm what? Paul is saying the same thing that Job's saying. I have discovered in all of this that the consolation I have in my life is that somehow or another, the weakness that I am going through, the trying in the fire, somehow or another, it's making me stronger. Let me tell you something, church member. Let me tell you something, mom. Let me tell you something, teenager. Whatever it is that you may be going through tonight, God has not designed that thing so that you can get bitter, so that you can just complain to everybody, so that you can give up on life. He has designed this thing so that when He has tried you, you'll come forth a lot better than you were on the front side. And that's how He closes this thing, is it not? He says this, that I shall come forth as gold. And Job had no idea what was going to happen on the back end of this book. But we know now, looking back, that everything that he lost, God gave him double. 
And every one of his friends and all of his family, they came by in that agony. And you know what they gave Job? They gave him gold. And as he's sitting there looking at the gold and all the restorations, and, he, and God even gave him back all the kids. Five, ten in heaven and ten on earth. Twenty. As he's looking at all that God had restored, somehow or another he's saying, it's not the gold that I touch that's valuable to me, but rather it's the gold God's made me to be as a result of going through the fire. Let me ask you something tonight. Does it seem like you've reached a season of life when you can't find God? Because the truth is, sovereign silence is one of the most sobering sounds that you'll ever hear. Stillness of nothing. Let me give you what the psalmist said. Be still and know that I am God.